you're between the ages of four to the second grade, you're excused to go to kids' club. And again, I'll include that if you'd like to act like you're between the ages of four and the second grade, kids' club would love to have you as a volunteer. We'll talk more about that this morning. We are walking through a four-week series called Calvary 101. What is the mission and vision of the church? We started with an idea of what is the mission and vision of every church. In fact, if you were to pick up your Bible, you study through the whole thing, you would find pretty quickly that God has always had a plan. God has always been at work, and he's always been revealing himself to the nations from Genesis on through Revelation. In fact, it's been said if you want a, an easy way to put your Bible together, you can remember it by the easy acronym. It's not easy at all, by the way. AMPEC. That if you look at the old, old Testament, the entire Old Testament is anticipation of the king. It's all looking forward, saying there is a Messiah coming. There's a Messiah coming. There's a Messiah coming. And when you get to Matthew and you walk into the Gospels, you, you find the manifestation of the Messiah. That he has come. He's here. And then, and then when you walk past that, you get into the book of Acts. You get into the proclamation. Where, where these guys go out into the world and the church movement starts. And the mission keeps going out as people proclaim that the Messiah has come. Then you enter into the epistles for the explanation. And, and then the book of Revelation consumes everything. It's the consummation. And so if you were to follow this whole book, you'd see that God is on a mission. And because of that, as a church, we want to join him in what he's a part of. We've talked a lot over those last couple of weeks about the Great Commission. That God has called us as a people to participate in. And so we have walked through, through this two weeks, this is our third, and put before us the mission that we exist to exalt the name of Jesus, to edify the body, and to build his kingdom. And, and as a mission statement, we're going to accomplish that with a vision statement. To build a community in Christ, to reach a community for Christ. That that is, as a church, who we are. That's our identity. We want to be about building a community of followers in Jesus. So we're constantly aware of who we are in Jesus. So it's not about me being good enough. It's not about me doing it under my power, my authority, my effort. It's about me being in Christ. And it's about you being in Christ. It's about all of us understanding who we are in Christ as a corporate gathering. But it doesn't stop there. The two becomes really important because we exist then to reach a community for Christ. That God in his desires, his glory, has, when he called us and made us his own, began a process of sanctification. So we'd begin to look more and more and more like his son. So we'd reveal the glory of the Father into the world. And so that we would be a part as a church of building a community for the purpose of reaching a community for Christ. So it could be said that Moorhead, Fargo, the whole area around us, ought to look a lot differently because of Calvary Church. It's what the Bible puts before us. And so we've put before you as a process of this, not just a vision statement so that you go, oh, that's nice. That, that sounds really cool. We should paint it on a wall. By the way, we did. But how do I participate in it? What does that actually look like practically for me? 
And so we've put four commitments before you and we've been walking through them. The first one was pray. The second one is give. The third one is serve. The fourth is participate. You should know this is not a multiple choice question. Uh, You don't get to come to this question and go, "Mm, B. I'm a B guy. I recently took my driver's test so that I could drive in the state of Minnesota. It's always fascinating when you have to take one of those tests because you come to some of them and you go, "Mm, the A is good, B is ridiculous, C is really ridiculous, D is a possibility, E is everything. Well, this is an everything option. In fact, we've tried to walk you through this to get a greater sense of that this isn't Ben's idea for the church. This is actually what the Bible proclaims God's body to be about. So these commitments are are rooted in biblical commands that, by the way, aren't optional for us. So when I say pray for the mission and vision of the church, it's pretty rooted in the scripture. They give to the mission and vision of the church so that we're trying to, as a body, align ourselves with the mission and purpose of God so we're about his work. So when we put Luke 10, 2 through 3 before you, which is a passage that goes with pray, it says, and he said to them, this is Jesus talking, the great trump card, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his, to send laborers out into his harvest. So, so we as a people group are called to be praying that God would send more people out to engage the world. And yet verse 3 is sitting right behind it, isn't it? That to realize that when you pray, sometimes you're the answer. Verse 3, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So if we're going to make a commitment to pray for the mission and vision of the church, to pray is to make the commitment to be involved in it too. But we'll keep walking through that. The second commitment is giving. We'll give you 2 Corinthians 9.6, which we walked through last week. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The idea at Calvary is we want to be a church that sows bountifully. We want to see the gospel go out in mass quantities. In Fargo and Moorhead and around the world, we want to be an increasing part of what God is doing in the world so we can continue to see God work and move. So we called you to be a part of giving to the mission and the vision of the church. And this morning, we're going to walk through the third commitment, serving. So that we'll walk out of here with an idea of how do I participate in what Calvary is doing? I need to be praying for the church. I need to be giving to the church. And I need to be serving the church. So if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. If you have a, don't have a Bible with you, I'd suggest you pull out a Red Pew Bible before you. It's an ESV. It matches what we're talking about. We'd love for you to take it with you. I've conveniently put the page numbers on our PowerPoint so you can look like you're really smart and know your way around the Bible better than your neighbors. Because they're flipping around in their own Bibles because they can't cheat like you can. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this. Let's read it. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
So let's dig into this text. If we were, there are probably four or five major texts that we'll get into this throughout scriptures. First Peter 4 is one of them. First Corinthians 12 is one. Romans 12, Ephesians 4. We'll touch on a lot of them as we walk through this. But we wanted to start here. First Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And the idea here, according to the scriptures, is as each. That God has gifted every single one of us. That there's not a single person in this room that has not been gifted for the purposes of God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7, 7 affirms that and says God gives each one his own gift. And we've received it. You find that to be, it's already happened. It's a past tense verb. When you were formed in your mother's womb, when God knit you together, it was part of your design. And it's kind of fascinating for us to appreciate that. From the beginning of time when God conceived you in his mind to the point where your parents conceived you, uh, there, there's a process where you've been built intentionally. That you were not an accident. That your abilities, your skills, your design was all part of purposeful by God. And because of that, we have to look at our own design and praise him rather than compare it to other people. When we compare our design to other people, we fail. When we praise him for what he's done in us, We all win. And in this case, as each has received a gift for us to get that everyone here has already been given something. This gift, you should know in Greek, is the term charisma. It's actually a modified verb, a modified form of the Greek term charis, which is grace. The very idea that you have a gift is the idea that God is giving you his grace. And the grace that he gives you is to participate in his kingdom, to participate in what he's doing. When God gifts you, it's like he gives you front row tickets to see what he's about. So that you can get in the very front row to see, man, Lord, what are you going to do today? I want to be a part of seeing you move. That's why God gifts us. That's why he allows us to participate in his work. As each has used, or as each has received a gift. Now the first stop we got to make is to realize that the gifts that we've been given are always given in the context of the church. So if you will flip with me to Romans 12, I've got a page number for you. It's 948 if you're in a Red Pew Bible. If not, you're on your own. You know, a little sword drill, work it out. Romans 12, 4 by the way, this comes at the, and the, and the major turn in Romans, when you get give yourselves as a living sacrifice, give yourselves away as Romans 12, 1, we get this. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. What Paul puts out to the Romans is that we're all different, but we're one body. We're distinctly individuals, but we're one church. And now just own that for just a second. Everyone in here has been gifted. And you've been gifted distinctly. What that inherently means for you is you work out your salvation. You understand who God has called you to be. Realize real quickly he's not called you to be anyone else here. He's called you very uniquely to be you. And that ought to be really freeing. Because it's not about you being the person next to you. It's not about you being in the person across the row from you. It's not about you being as good as somebody you perceive. Because by the way, you don't perceive them fairly. 
you have to appreciate any comparison just thieves joy from your heart. God has created us distinctly, but he's created us as a body. And all the bodies do not have the same function. That all of us are gifted differently. Verse 5, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually we're members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. It's funny that that means is that we're all even gifted in the same proportions. And that's God's grace. I have a friend I went to high school with. His name is Mike. Mike is one of the hardest guys in my life to be friends with. Now, I love Mike. We get along phenomenally. But he's probably one of the most gifted guys I've ever met in my life. Everything Mike has ever done has, like, worked out awesome. It's like if we had lemonade stands on the same street, I'd make a dollar and he'd make, like, 12 grand. And you're like, what in the world? How's this working out? And it's funny for me to realize in my own life that when I look at my life and I compare myself to Mike, I just get robbed. But when I stop and I give God glory for how he made Mike and what Mike's able to do for the kingdom of God because of how God has gifted Mike, and I stop and I see myself in the same light and say, God, man, you gifted me way differently and way less, but I, man, to your credit, glory, I'm not sure I could yield that much gift. Uh, and he does really well, but we're gifted very differently. But the call here in our individuality and in our distinctiveness is to let us use them, to use your gifts in the church, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service, then do it in your serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in his generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That as God has given us gifts, he's given it to us in the context of the church, that we would use them as a corporate body for his glory, for his edification, and for each other. In fact, we see that. Because he says, as each has received a gift, back in 1 Peter 4.10, use it to serve one another. That the gifts God has specifically given you were not just so that you could be in the most incredible accountant, bricklayer, or hole digger in the world. It's so that you'd use them in the church to edify the body so that we'd be about serving one another. In fact, we'll pop into Ephesians 4.12 and 13. We're going to try to hit most of the major passages as we work through here because I, got, I want to continue to put before you that this is the consistent theme of the New Testament, not just the crazy pastor's idea. Ephesians 4.12, or page 977, says that we're given gifts, leads into that, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Why were we given gifts? To build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're called to serve then as, as a people, distinct in our gifts, but unified together that we'd all play a part in building up the body of Christ. The goal until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Do we all share an understanding of rich and thick and deep biblical knowledge? That we all know the Son of God 
and that we become mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're going to keep coming back to 1 Peter 4. He tells us to be good stewards. That as we've been given a gift, we've been given a gift to use it with one another, we're now called to steward the gifts that God has given us. That God has made in an investment in giving you gifts. He's put it in you, and it's an investment. And you're called to steward it. So with most of these passages, we go to the trump card, Jesus. Lest you think we're making it up. We'll take you to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Some of you will know this passage well, but it's a passage about stewardship. Here's a parable that Jesus tells. For be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. Jesus tells a story about this man giving away talents. In this particular case, talent is a sum of money. He's making an investment in these guys to see if they're faithful. One he gives five, one he gives two, one he gives one. Let's see what happens. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Verse 17, and he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. So you have two guys who invest it, use it for the kingdom. Another guy digs a hole effectively. Now one of the challenges you've got to get when Jesus is telling you a parable is he's trying to nail you to a wall. I mean, really. Given what God has given you, are you investing it in the body or are you burying it? That's the question. That's the question he wanted his disciples and those following him to deal with. When you consider everything I've given you, what are you doing with it? Are you pouring into the lives of other people? Are you pouring into the body or do you dig a hole? Let's see his response. Verse 24. Well, I got to skip a couple and say, to the five, when the five came forward, verse 20, when he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, the master saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, yet here I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, one of the things that's key for us to realize is when we start talking about eternity and standing before God in heaven, what everyone always says they want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. What we kind of have to cue into is that this statement only comes in this parable. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the New Testament. So this statement of well done, good and faithful servant comes from somebody who took what God had given him and invested it into the kingdom and produced fruit. We find the same thing said to he who had two talents. Now let's go to verse 24. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man 
reaping what you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here you have what is yours. This third guy is given one. Now, I don't know what motivates him. I don't know if he looks at these other two guys and goes, man, those guys are way more talented than I. They got five. They got two. They're the really talented people in the room. They're going to go earn. The, they're going to be the aggressive investments, and, and we're going to let those guys work hard. And I'll be the conservative investment. I want to make sure he doesn't lose anything, so I'm going to dig my hole, bury the talent, and see what happens. But Jesus' response to this guy is pretty harsh. His master answers him saying, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. In this parable, Jesus is pointing out to his disciples and those following him is that he has given them gifts and he's expecting them to be used. Whether you've been given a lot or you've been given a little, there's an expectation that you're going to be used by God in the process. So when each has been given a gift, there's not a single person here who's excusable, who could say, it's not me, or I'm not talented enough, or I'm not good enough, or I don't have my life together enough, or how could I ever be a part of what God is doing? God kind of leaves that as an inexcusable thought. Now Peter to go back to 1 Peter 4, gives two examples. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. He, he wants to give you two examples now. Of what does it look like to use your gifts? So he gives these two. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Now you got to appreciate that one, me, who's a speaker, as I'm doing now, has to own this passage. That my job is to speak the oracles of God to you. To speak the words of God. This is why from time to time I'll stop and say, okay, this is Ben. I'm fallen. I make plenty of mistakes. You want to look at my life and call me a hypocrite? You're right. This is the Bible. We teach it because it's God's holy word and it sets forth who God is, God's heart, and he's not a hypocrite. And God is totally trustworthy. So we sit and we rely and we rest on the authority of the word of God. We teach the authority of the word of God. We put our lots of Bible in front of you because we want you to have your life intersected with the word of God and not Ben's opinion. So Ben's job is to stand before you and speak the oracles of God. To speak to you the words of God, that's me using my gifts, according to Peter's example. His second example is whoever serves. Now serving could take any number of fronts. Serving could be somebody in the nursery right now rocking a baby. Serving could be somebody who shoveled snow in our driveway late last night. Serving could be putting together potlucks. Serving could be any number of things. But he says, serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So as you serve, you have the opportunity to serve, saying, God has supplied me the energy and the ability to do what I have to do. Let me give you a couple of interesting examples. I worked at a church in Memphis, Tennessee for seven years. During that process, we had kids. When you start having kids, you start noticing things like nurseries and children's ministries, things I'd never seen before. 
Our nursery at First of Ann, it was a fascinating ministry to me, typically had seven people in it. It had five octogenarians, women in their 80s who didn't really move well, and two junior high girls. And it was funny how they'd worked out serving because the octogenarian's job was to sit there and rock. And the junior high girl would pick up the baby and hand it to the lady rocking. And, and then the octogenarian would rock the baby. When the baby would cry, junior high girl would pick up the baby, take it, change it, and give it back. They, they'd found ways to use all their gifts. But what I want you to see in that perspective is now you've got junior high girls who are serving with 80-year-old women, all of whom understanding that God has a role and a purpose in them serving the church. They weren't giving up. Then decided that they didn't have a role. It's one of the challenges that you've got in church leadership sometimes, is that some people decide, well, that's not my job. Let the people who have the kids watch their kids. Rather than realizing God has gifted all of us When the church functions at its best, we look to everyone's gifting and say, let's get this guy and let's use him in his gift set rather than wherever we need him. Because as a group of 180 of us who show up on a weekly basis, if we get every last one of you serving in the church, do you know what happens? We start functioning better and better and better and better. Because if we were to walk through 1 Corinthians 12 and we'd start realizing that we physically are the, the body of Christ, that's the, the, mo- the picture that's given to us, that we all serve a part, and we all a part of that body, then you have to realize that you fit into that somehow. And that somewhere in the body, you're a part of us. And so if we drew to draw the picture of our body, and for example, we lacked an opposable thumb... We could have all the fingers and arm muscles in the world, but couldn't pick anything up. Some of you guys could be a bicep. Your whole function is just helping other people serve well. But if you're not here, we don't work well. What happens in the church This is why this flows into this, is the mission and vision of the church is when we get all of you and we start understanding how you're gifted, how God has uniquely wired you, when we put it all together and we start realizing, that's incredible. We've been needing a kneecap for years and we found one. Do do you realize that we have needs? You know, it's, it's interesting. When I came to Calvary, people have long said that, you know, this is not a church where 10% of people do 90% of the work. By the way, it's sad that that's a reality. Do you know what cliches come because they're true? It's a funny thing about cliches. Church was not designed so even 30% of the people would do 70% of the work. Church was actually built according to the scripture that 100% of the people were doing 100% of the work. And because of that, that 100 number was ever growing. That 100% went from 200 to 240 to 90 to 300 to 350 375 because everyone was participating in what God was doing, what God was about. See, that keeps us as a church from burning out some folks. 
And if we took a quick poll of who's serving in our church and was burning out, I bet nobody would raise their hand and we'd have at least five liars in the room. Because that's the nature of church. We feel like we're supposed to give and give and give and give and give. When what we really need is everyone to participate in what God's doing and what God's about. So when he says, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, realize that if God, you woke up this morning and God gave you breath, he's given the strength you need to serve regardless of your age or your ability or what you think you can do. I could find you passages where people show up and say, well, you don't understand what I've done in my life. You don't understand the mistakes I've made. You don't. That's great. I really do understand. I just want you to stop making excuses for it. As a church, if we're going to function really well, it's when we start approaching everyone's involvement somewhere. Now, I'll be honest with you, we could use more nursery workers. But I want to be further honest with you and tell you, if that's not how you're gifted, we won't be using you well there. We could use a whole lot more people to volunteer in the kids club. But I'll be honest with you, that age group terrifies me. That's not where I'm gifted. I'm literally afraid of crying in the group with kids that age. They kind of freak me out. And you might be like me, that's not your group. And if it's not, don't sign up. But if it is, you might think first graders are my sweet spot. And if that is you, praise the Lord. We'd love to have you more involved. But there's so many other places. There's so many other places where you can get involved. I know the AV guys, if you're computer savvy, we, our website needs help, friends. And I mean capital help. If you want to do sound, graphic design, there are places that you can serve and be a part of what we're about. It's even possible that we'd find five or six of you gifted in a way that we're not doing anything about. And as a church, we'd have to go, you know what? We have nobody working with refugees right now. We'd be dumb not to start working with refugees because we have five or six people who are really passionate about internationals. And if we just get them in the right situation, get them together talking about it, we should start a ministry working with internationals because people here really love that group of people. So don't look around and say, well, they're not passionate about this. What do I do? I worked with college students for years, and I laughed with working with college kids. I'm now making fun of you, like five right here. College students would say stuff like, walk into a church and go, well, this church is not, I mean, they're just not into homeless ministry, so this is not the right place for me. And I'd laugh and go, is it possible that if you have a, a ministry you're passionate about that we don't do, maybe God put you in our body to help start it? Ooh, try that on for size. See, God is trying to build everyone into his work. So it's not the pastor and it's not the elders and the 10% of the people who do ministry. And by the way, everybody's ministry is distinct. So yours doesn't have to look like mine or the elders or the 10% or anyone else. Your ministry is how God has wired and designed you to be a part of how he's put you together. Why? Let's go back to 1 Peter 4, 
chapter 11 or verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and amen. Why should you greet people at the door on Sunday morning? Because it brings God glory. Why should you shovel a sidewalk so people don't slip? Because it brings God glory. Why should you play a piano, a guitar, a bass, a cymbal? Because it brings God glory. It's not just about us filling holes. It's about us uplifting God and giving him glory. So that if you wonder why you hold babies, it's to glorify God. You wonder why you mow grass, it's to glorify God. Through Jesus Christ. As we've walked through these last three weeks, our, our heart and our desire is to put the Bible before you so you'd see what God is doing. So you'd see pretty clearly that he's building a movement of people. And that you'd start to align your lives with that and you'd want to start praying, God, would you send more workers into the field? God, would you help us as a church to be more intentional about engaging the people around us? And as a part of that, you'd start to praying through that, would keep it on your heart so that when you go to the grocery store or your work, you'd start to think, man, I should love this guy. Here's a chance for me to love somebody. And start living that out. And the secondly, we want to ask you to give to the church. It's not so we can have a bigger budget, so we can like, like make a list of all the churches and be like, we're better than them. <laughs> Doesn't even matter. We want to grow our budget so we can sow more bountifully for the kingdom of God. So we can be a part of increasingly measure of what God's about, not here, but in the world, everywhere. So that we can build a team of people and go to Rwanda. So we can take, love people on an Indian reservation. So that we can be a part of supporting people here. We want to be a part of seeing God move. And us resourcing that as part of it. It's about us using our finances as long-term investments for the kingdom of God. And here, this third commitment, it's serving. That God doesn't desire one of us to serve or ten of us. He's calling all of us to be a part of serving in his body. He's gifted of us all uniquely and differently yet called us to be together so that it will bring him glory. And so that you can get a front, you can use your ticket. You can cash in your ticket to see God move and bring him glory. The last couple of weeks, we've said that in the connection hour, we want to ask everyone to stay. And this week is the same. Because what we're fleshing out here in Scripture, we want to flesh out practically in our next hour. We want to talk more specifically about how people find out what their spiritual gifts are and, and how to then incorporate them into our body. So it's not just you walk away going, mm, yes, I should serve. Good for me. But so we could take that next step and show you if God is doing something in your heart, 
And if he's not, it's obedience. So come either way. (laughs) So you could see places you could plug in and be a part of what God's doing. So you can be a part of serving. Because we don't want this to be a fluffy series where you don't know how you're supposed to respond. We want it to be a concrete series so you know exactly how to plug into the mission and vision of the church so we can build his kingdom. So stay for the connection hour. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. That in it there's truth. That in it we find life. And Father, the life that you have for us is about bringing you honor and glory. Not about bringing me honor and glory. So Father, I love this church. And I know that there are so many here that do. And Father, I pray with my hands wide open, Father, that you would do something incredible in our midst. Father, for your glory and for your kingdom. I pray, Father, that you would make us a church that prays like we've never prayed before. That prays that you would send workers into the field. Father, because the needs are plentiful. And Father, we want to be a part of what you're doing. And Father, we want to be a church that gives like never before. Not because we'll earn points or gain any favor, but so that we can be a part in increasing measure of what you're doing in Fargo and Moorhead and around the world. God, we want to build your kingdom. We want to see you move. And Father, we want to be a church that serves like never before. Not just so that we'll have more people involved, but so that we'd have more people who get to play a role in bringing you glory. We have more people obedient to your word. More people building and serving and playing the role that you've designed them to be. Whether it's cleaning bathrooms or holding babies or planning events or working on a website, God. We need people to get engaged in your mission and serve how you've wired them for your glory. God, do something great here. For your glory, we pray. Amen.